Hey, did you know Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years? What? It's I know it's <laughs> mind-blowing. It blows your mind, but it's true. And they, they better not have. They Oh, they're so old, but you know what? They're so good, and they're better than they ever have been. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and is delivered right to your door four times a year. That's right. Once per quarter, you get the newest Fango delivered right to your door. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including... From time to time, your intrepid Kingcast hosts. Yes. This high quality. I, you know what? I'm. I actually just turned in my piece for them for the summer issue, baby. So, oh, nice. I, I hope Phil likes it because he didn't say one word about it, which usually means it's good. So he better mm. like it. Uh, this high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine. So if you want to join in the fun and you damn well better, you'll need to subscribe. And in order to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. Kingcast listeners are in the family. So we got a little nifty promo code for you. You can save a whole 25% off your entire order if you use the code KINGCAST at checkout. I'm sorry, I was reading an email. Um, (laughs) With all of that said, on with the show. (laughs) Hi. My name is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today we are diving into Stephen King's 1981 nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, which serves as both a professional examination of horror history in literature and film, as well as something of an autobiography, as King can't help but wax poetic about the uh, weird 50s and 60s movies and books that shaped the writer he is. Joining us for this discussion is a director who you'll know from his early work at Robot Chicken, as well as the Lego Batman movie, which was co-written by KingCast alum Seth Graham Smith, by the way. No, no, sure. Uh, Yeah, The Tomorrow War, and more recently, Renfield, which is currently in theaters. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris McKay to the KingCast stage. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? made it, finally. Yeah, I've made it finally. Thank you for your patience. Thank you very much. No, of course. We're we're happy to have you, and in, uh, in good health. Yes. Um, you know, we would not have wanted to record it while you had no voice. It would have been very boring, <laughs> very boring for the listeners. It, and so it would be very David Lynch of us, though. We could, could could have turned it into an experimental episode. Just like, yeah, just a weird whisper voice with the sound of a radiator in the background. Yeah. <laughs> you just tap, tap it in Morse code, your answer. Yeah. That would be a great prank to do on the show is like dial the fucking <laughs> dial all the tracks down, like so you can barely hear it. And then about. 40 seconds in just as everyone's about to like unplug crank the volume crank to full. <laughs> <laughs> the first jump scare in podcast history whatever we can do to alienate ourselves from our own audience it's something we want to bring a little andy kaufman magic to the proceedings <laughs> so um renfield came out you've been on making the rounds for it with a, yeah. with a press tour you, you were just at overlook and screening it around how do you feel after all of this? Uh, the dust has more or less settled. Oh, uh, exhausted. Um, yes. I feel, I f- yeah, I feel good. I mean, 
the I, I love watching the movie with an audience. Uh, it, it you know people really respond. It's just a crazy over the top movie. Doesn't take itself very seriously. It's got a great performance by Nick Holtz and Nicolas Cage uh, at the center of it. A toxic you know it's a, it's a movie about codependency and toxic relationships and uh, toxic workplace environment. Um, and, uh, uh, just, yeah, I'd love watching it with audiences, uh, just because, you know, all the gags, uh, the splat stick humor and, um, you know, the kind of crazy go for it, uh, practical effects that we did, uh, play really well. So, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean, the, one of the things from the screening at, at Overlook, which, uh, which I was in the audience for, um, that really kind of surprised me going in was, uh, I think because like, it, from the clips, like I've seen a lot of the CG gore side of it yep. uh, uh, leading up to it. But like what you don't know is in the first like 10, 15 minutes, anytime you see Nicolas Cage as Dracula, he is so fucked up and it's all practical makeup yeah, and it yeah. looks so cool. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I'd love to hear like the ideas. And I'm sure just from my limited interactions with Cage himself, you seem to be the type that would be all in for yes, really fuck me up and make me look like a hammer, like monster, like a a B movie, like the the B side of a double feature hammer yeah, monster, yeah. not one of the top, top tier <laughs> guys, top you know? Movie, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, Cage was was great. I mean, there's uh, I've never uh, rare rare to work for somebody uh, with with somebody who's so who just is so full of joy every single day. Like he just he loves making movies. That has not diminished, you know, in, in his career. Every day he gets on set, he's super excited. Even if he spent four hours in a makeup chair before he's about to do a 10, 12-hour day, he, uh, his enthusiasm is not diminished. So he's a real joy and very in, in, an inspiration to be around. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, I, I wanted to, to do as much of the movies practically uh, as possible, whether it's, you know, exploding a priest or ripping, <laughs> ripping a guy's face off, or ripping a guy's arms off, <laughs> or uh, uh, or Cage's makeup, and um, I'm sure the studio would have preferred that I did it differently. As far as his, uh, they, they did not want to be locked into to one look uh, for uh, Dracula. Um, they no. thought it was they thought it was very they thought it was too scary. Um, but no, I, the, <laughs> the 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 gore the like yeah, fucked up Dracula how fucked up Dracula looked. Yeah, they thought people were not going people were not going to be grossed out by it. People didn't um, come to this violent horror comedy to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Christian Tinsley, who um, had done uh, you know, Westworld for one thing, some of the mm. stuff I've seen him do on Westworld was amazing. Um, and uh, he, he he came to the table, and I, and I just told him, look, I wanted to – we Dracula needs to be credibly messed up so that it, could, so that it feels like Renfield it, you know, has to do his bidding. And Renfield you know, is, is – you know, got this moral dilemma that he's given, you know, been been uh, given at the at the top of our movie. So you need you need to feel like uh, Renfield needs to to you know procure bodies for Dracula, and Dracula is too infirm to be able to do it. So that so he needs to look messed up. So we had you know we had uh, what we called the Picasso look, uh, where he's got you know he's got an ear falling off that that one way and the eyes going another way and stuff like that. And um and uh, you know Tinsley and his team they, they did an incredible job. And um yeah, I was just really fortunate that um I you know. Between Christian Tinsley, uh, who did the makeup, uh, Chris Brewster, who did the stunts, Jamie Price, who did the visual effects, Alec Hammond, who was my production designer, Lisa Voss, who, who did costumes. I had a really great team uh, of people who, who helped put this movie together, and they and their crews really got it and were really dedicated um, to making this movie. We didn't have all the money in the world, 
um, to make mm-hmm. this movie. So um, especially if we're going to do a bunch of this stuff practically and on location and things like that. So having right. a really, um, a really dedicated team is, is, you know, it's, that's, that's money in the bank. Right. Uh, you also, and why this is actually such a great pairing, you coming on doing dance macabre, you also like show a reverence for, uh, you know, for the, the olden days, right? Like there's that whole opening where, yeah. where you shoot it like the, the, uh, the original Dracula, right? Yeah. We comped yeah. a cage and Holt into the, you know, 1931 Todd Browning movie. And, uh, that was, you know, it was, that was fun to do the costumes and to do the lighting and, you know, to get the angles right. So we could put, you know, cage on the staircase with a giant spider web behind him and all that kind of thing and do yeah. the grain and match the grain and, you know, match the, you know, lenses and, you know, the whole thing. That was, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Now um, you strike, you strike me as a cinephile as well. Right. So you're, you're a big movie nerd. Um, and I, I know cages and I've heard that Nicholas Holt is, I've never, never, uh, run into that guy, but, uh, uh, I, yeah. in my experience, when you're on a set with people who just love movies, it is such a radically like different experience, you know, that people are so much more into, uh, what they're doing. It's like, you, you know, I've never, again, I've never been to a Tarantino set, but like, apparently that just love of film like yeah. is just throughout everybody that he brings on. It's like, that's like the prerequisite. Um, it, it was, did you feel that on, on this one? Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, I, when I first came to Los Angeles, I guess my expectation was that everybody was like that. Yeah. And, uh, I found out very quickly that's not the case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when you, so when you do, uh, when you do have it, when there are people who get your references or care enough to, you know, research, uh, the, you know, when you, you know, spe- you know, especially with the, you know, the team that you're assembling, like research the stuff that you, uh, are, you know, are referencing and that sort of thing. That's a real gift. You know, on this movie, everybody, you know, yeah. Holt's, Holt's got a deep knowledge. The, the, the crew, uh, Ben Schwartz is a real movie nerd. Aquafina is a real movie yeah. nerd, like a deep, she used to work at a, uh, a video store in New York and she's got a deep, deep love of, awesome. of all kinds of movies. Um, so yeah. So, um, and you know, in Shore, uh, it's been in, you know, Kiristami movies and uh, uh, you know, when she was in Iran and uh, you know, and was nominated for Academy Award and things <laughs> right. like that. So, uh, right. uh, you know, I, I, I got, to, I got to work with some people that I you know never would have dreamed that I got to, to work with. Uh, you know, it, just about everyone I know who's met cage comes away with a good cage story and you know you spent a a great deal of time with him um if you had to tell one anecdote that we haven't heard before about your time spent with cage does anything immediately pop to mind um you know we didn't talk about his crypt in new orleans um Mm. he's got Mm -hmm. a pyramid he's got a pyramid uh crypt in new orleans we didn't talk about stuff like any of that kind of thing um uh, you know the the fact that he wanted to play uh, Dracula a little bit like Anne Bancroft in The Graduate is probably the weirdest thing that, that <laughs> yeah. ha- happened on, on set. Um, uh, because for the most part, he was. I mean, I, you know, I, I I wish that I had like you know crazy you know Nick Cage you know like the the, the guy who throws money when it comes on you know comes comes on a talk show you know th- you know doing high kicks and throwing <laughs> money right. at the audience and things like that. Like I have. I don't have any of that. That's not my experience at all. He was, he was, he could have been more of a gentleman, like just about, about everything, about every aspect uh, of working on this, on this movie and this character or just being, you know, even the minute details of just dealing with the schedule and stuff like that. I mean, he, you know, the weirdest thing was he wanted, uh, 
He wanted a hotel uh, where he could get 24-hour room service. Uh, smart, <laughs> smart man. Yeah, I think, I think I'm really, fucking with him. Yeah, I think that's really great. He, he wanted, he wanted a, he wanted a, a, a stairmaster or something, and he wanted a wanted 24 hour room service, and that was well. That, you got to be it. able to walk off those midnight hamburgers, you know. It's like, <laughs> like I, I get it. Nothing, yeah. nothing pisses me off more if I like get in late somewhere. Get to a hotel. You get a look at the hotel, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this place definitely has fucking room service." And then you get to the room, and it's like, "Oh, that we stopped that at nine o'clock." And you're like, yeah. "Monsters!" Yeah. What yeah, am I, I landed, supposed what, to do now? When I landed in Sydney, um, I was I was I went to Sydney for a, you know a, a year and a half or almost two years to do the first Lego movie. Um, and uh, when I I landed there, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to try food." And you know, I'm just really excited. And I've, I've found out like every restaurant closed at nine o'clock. That was uh, <laughs> that, that was, <laughs> I was uh, that my first night was a real bummer. Uh, <laughs> because yeah, you, you get spoiled be- in the u.s with the 24-hour shit everywhere yeah. uh, i've had that experience yeah. traveling abroad and it's like like oh cool if i want a burger at 10 guess what not even mcdonald's is open yeah. you know it's yeah. just like everything yeah. closes down like yeah. early and then you go to new orleans and it's like you can't not you can't step five feet and not see a, a restaurant open until 2 p.m yeah. or 2 a.m <laughs> yeah, yeah new orleans respects its food and beverages for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, well, because he brought up the Anne Bancroft thing, like, what did you, what did you think the first time he mentioned that? Did he just did he do the voice and then tell you what he was doing, or did he say, "Hey, I got an idea"? Like, how did that interaction this, go? This came up like so. So, you know, I had a phone conversation with him before he, you know, um, agreed to do the movie, and it was, we, it was a great conversation. Then the very next time that I talked to him after he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll be Dracula," he was already off book. He had a voice that uh, you know that was his father's voice. Um, yeah. He was he was he was he was channeling his dad, um, who was an English professor and and um, um, uh, sort of an, you know intellectual. Um, mm-hmm. And he was so he was doing this uh, um, mid Atlantic uh, accent and uh, very haughty. And his father was um, somebody that you know uh, a huge impact on Cage and showed him. Nosferatu uh, and, and Captain Dr. Caligari when when Cage was five years old, um, which which has a, you know had a huge impact on his uh, uh, his I think his acting career, um, and so he was kind of like you know it kind of already had the had this this voice down and we were just talking about this scene uh, the scene in the in the apartment between Renfield and and and, and uh, Dracula and talking about abandonment um, and how Dracula. Uh, you know, felt, felt this, you know, abandonment. And he, that's when, that's when he said, I wanted to channel and, and Bancroft, right. um, in, in, in that, in that moment. And, uh, I, you know, I, honestly, I kind of got it uh, on some level because I, I thought, okay, yeah, he's, here's this, he's jealous and he's, um, you know, he's going to be petulant and petty. Uh, and I thought that was, I kind of, I kind of thought that was yeah. perfect. So, yeah. uh, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't flinch, uh, when Anne Bancroft came up, I guess, or the graduate. <laughs> A little mommy dearest in there too. It's like, mm-hmm. don't you dare leave me. I get yeah, it. Yeah. 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 No more wire hangers. <laughs> <laughs> no more wire crucifixes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what is your Stephen King origin story, Chris? I don't think there's ever been a time in my life where Stephen King wasn't a part of, uh, um, you know, my uh, heroes. Like he was one of my heroes. Like it was Stephen King, yeah. Steven Spielberg and John Carpenter. 
Like these mm. are the people that I, that's, and, and Stephen King, you know, books were u- ubiquitous. They were, you know, every house you'd go into, um, somebody had a, had one of his books, you know, Salem's Lot yeah. or Firestarter or whatever. Um, and I just remember going to the library and I think seeing like the cover of Night Shift and seeing the cover of Firestarter and I, you know, I was a big horror kid, loved, you know, I just was obsessed with horror movies and science fiction movies and fantasy. And um, I think Firestarter is the first one I picked up. Uh, and it, I, it was just, a, I read it cover to cover on a, on a family trip. And, um, you know, I just everything, it felt so cinematic. And, and everything about his like writing style, how punchy his writing style mm-hmm. is and, and you know, the, the quotes at the top of every, you know, lyrics, lyric quotes at the top of every book or every chapter or whatever. Yeah. Everything was like speaking to the, you know, the, cause I was getting into music at the time. I was getting more and more into movies and he'd, he'd reference, he'd reference movies or, or actors or things like that. Like all of this, you mm-hmm. know, the way he uses pop culture, like all that stuff was exactly what I was, you know, as a Midwestern kid, I grew up, you know, outside of Chicago. I, I, you know, I, this was exactly what my life, you know, felt like it felt like the most modern, cool thing. And it was, and it was, you know, horror and wonder and awe. And like I said, the, the set pieces in his books all felt really uh, cinematic. You could see them. You could just, you know, you see them, you felt them. Um, and that, you know, so, so, so to me, uh, uh, you know, I devoured, I, you know, after Firestarter, I I don't know what, I don't know. I can't remember remember Salem's Lot or Carrie next, but I just kind of like started working my way through all of, all of his books, Dead Zone and, and, uh, you know, Cujo and Shining and, and, um, and everything. I mean, I, I remember, uh, I remember reading Pet Cemetery in the, in my house. Uh, I was reading, I was in the, I think I had, I think I had a bedroom that was in the basement at the time and, I was reading Pet Cemetery, and there's a scene that described the the cemetery itself and kind of the the the, the monster that uh, that sort of walked, by, you know, uh, or this what what sounded like a monster that was sort of walking, you know, behind the cemetery at night. And somebody in the, somebody in the house moved something upstairs or whatever, and I jumped, I jumped out of my uh, <laughs> seat uh, reading the book. Like I never had a jump, you know, like a jump scare, you know, reading something. Um, but I was that I was that mesmerized by the language and just the the worlds that uh, he created and the feeling and the tone and the um, everything created. So 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 King was like a huge influence. He influenced the way I wrote when I when I wrote yeah. little short stories as a kid. I mean, I wrote in that you know, kind of in his style, or at least what I you know thought was his style. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, you know, and obviously at the same time, the movies were coming out. You know, I mean, Carrie, you know, had 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 kind of you know come out, but but when we had a VCR, I. You know, I, I went back and, you know, saw Carrie and Salem's Lot, the Toby Hooper Salem's Lot, and you know, um, The Shining, you know, things like that when I could get my, you know, hands on that stuff. And and, um, and, then, and then, you know, Christine was probably, a, I think, one of the first King movies I saw in, in a movie theater, maybe Dead Zone, something somewhere around there. But but, the, but those were the movies that, you know, like I, I, you know, Carpenter's music with with the images from Stephen King, like that was, you know, I mean, I just remember, in the you know, as a kid, in the theater, like, you know, just like uh, the, the music was almost like, it was almost, it felt like a rock concert because it was just like, a, you had that drive and you had the car was on fire and, you know, chasing, you know, <laughs> yeah. Arnie's, uh, uh, you know, tormentors. And I just, I just ate it up. I just loved it. And, um, and, um, and that's, that movie's got such great performances by all, 
all, all you know, all everybody, all the the side mm-hmm. characters and the, the the three the three leads. And, right. um, and I and I, th- I think some of the changes from the book are really. I think you know because I, I read that book before I saw the movie because I think I think mm-hmm. at that time my parents were every year. I got a, you know, I got a subscription to Fangoria and I got a Stephen King book for Christmas. Like those were, and so I think Christina, come out, uh, the book had come out the, you know, maybe the previous year or something. And so I read it. So you're saying you had out. cool parents is what you're saying. We get the other end of that too, where people were like, I was hiding my Fangos and Stephen King under yeah. my bed because my parents would, would throw them out, you know? Yeah. I, I, it's I, cool I, that you were supported I, in that way. I, I, yeah. I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, I, you know, the, they, I didn't get to go see every single movie. Uh, I had to definitely had to go sneak and see R-rated movies, but they were, they they were they they thought it was. I think I'm pretty sure they thought it was weird, but they they were they they appreciated it was something that I really loved. And I think what they liked about Fangoria was that you know obviously there's obviously very shocking images, but once you get into it, you see that there's a lot of just descriptions on how people do it, and it's about all the yeah, people. Yeah, behind, yeah, it's all yeah, exactly like that. Which makes it less scary, right? Because it's Absolutely. like you're you're being invited into uh, the gag of it, the magic show of of movie yeah. making. Yeah, yeah. You, you see the cutout in the floor where the body goes, you know, into to do the gag with the, you know the 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 lower torso getting ripped off and all that kind of thing. Like you're you're it's it's yeah. To me, that was just like it was humanized movie making and, and you know right. all that kind of thing and made it more possible on some level too. Besides you know, making it less scary, but it made it it's like oh yeah, there's people making all these decisions uh, behind the scenes and coming up with these things to, you know, to make these movies work. I think I just, you know, loved all of his stuff. And I would just search out, you know, Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone had a magazine and, and The Raft mm-hmm. was a, you know, was a short story that appeared uh, there. And so, you know, I, I, I can't remember where The Mist came from originally, but I remember reading The Mist maybe before it went into book book form. Because I think they ended up publishing it in Skeleton Crew maybe. But I think yes, it, yeah, it was... Skeleton crew, yeah. I think there was an anthology, or I think there was like an anthology that the mist originally appeared in, hmm. um, and 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 I remember reading that, and I, that, that was for me for the longest time. That was like I'm going to make the mist as a movie as a kid. Like that <laughs> right. was like I got because I just I've, I thought that was just you know it's 100 pages or so or whatever, and it was just like, but just such great uh, storytelling. So cool, yeah. Self-contained, yeah. yeah. Of yeah. the uh, of the modern era. Um, and I'm going to say 2000 from 2000 on, because I don't want you to just answer Shawshank Redemption. Cause that would just, be the <laughs> but like, what do you have a preferred King adaptation from, from the last 20 years? Like, how do you think they're doing with his, wow, that's a really, like his, the adaptive process for King, like in the, the eighties, nineties, it got a little janky there for a while. And then there was like. I don't know. It's, it's really just a constant roller coaster. They're, they're either really good or really bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause like Dino De Laurentiis had the rights to a bunch of them was just kind of <laughs> churning stuff out. Um, that's a really good question. Cause I can't think of, cause even Shawshank is a Shawshank pre 2000. Oh yeah. yeah it's 94. Wrong? Yeah. Yeah. If I um, define modern as nineties after though, you would have just said Shawshank and then, yeah. You know. I can't, yeah. I, we cannot talk uh, about Shawshank on this show anymore. It's just. <laughs> it's it, a moratorium on Shawshank. <laughs> well, it, here's the thing. It's a perfect movie. There's nothing really to discuss. Sure. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great movie. Every single aspect of it rules and good talk. What do you think about this scene? <laughs> perfect. What do you think about this character? Perfect. <laughs> yeah. We'll help you out. We'll give yeah. you some, some contenders. There's Darabont's The Mist. There's 1408. There's. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it chapter one. Uh, those would be high up for me. Like it, it's got to mm-hmm. be the mist. It's got to be the mist as the thing for me because I think that's a thing you can go back and watch and have a lots. You know, like uh, it, there's so many things about that. Again, every there's lots of great performances. Um, Marsha Gay Harden um, yeah. is like pitch perfect. Uh, but even I mean, again, that, that's a, that's a movie where almost everyone's a character actor. You know, in 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 yeah. that in in the film, and in really like you know, there's there's so many, uh, so many performances that work in the mood of that thing. I mean, definitely like because especially, um, especially as somebody who wanted to make that into a movie, uh, yeah. and to see it done uh, at such a high level, um, and this in the in the design too. I think some of the design of the of the creatures is really great. Yeah, like that's that's something where you don't you see. There's a lot of oh, variety totally. in that, you know, that I think is really um, amazing. Uh, I, love also, the I would also throw yeah. Gerald's game up there as. Mm, and Dr. Sleep is in the conversation. Specifically too. the yeah. doc, the director's cut on Dr. Yeah, Sleep too. For sure. But those, those, those two from Flanagan are like Gerald's game just should not have worked as a movie period. The end, you know? So to have pulled that off was like, that was like watching someone do a really elaborate magic trick or something. I, I yeah. think I'd, I'd rank yeah. that one pretty high. But Dr. Sleep, because he pulled in the movie, because he pulled in Kubrick's movie mm-hmm. into it too. Like that's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that that got made and got made, you know, like, like that, they, that all of the, you know, that he's able to sort of pull from the novel, pull from the movie, synthesize those two things, make everybody, because again, you, you, I can't even imagine the behind the scenes of trying to make everybody happy. Uh, (laughs) you know, about, about, about all of that. Um, and that's, and there's some really, really great performances in that. And I think that the true not gang is really, there's some of those scenes are just really, I mean, that's some of those, you know, that's like, I think that's like up there with Ari Aster stuff as far as like, what's like, you know, stuff that's like really like awful. Yeah. Gets under your skin kind of horror. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I mean you're you're not wrong. It's uh, you know, funnily enough, you've worked with Lord and Miller, but we we always accuse Flanagan of being like Stephen King's Lord and Miller, where he just keeps <laughs> making things that shouldn't work and they work. And uh which is one of the the key reasons why we're we're very excited for you know that Flanagan's trying to get that Dark Tower yeah. uh, thing off the ground because well, you know again that dude guys, just has gonna, a track record. Yeah. 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 Be- because of you guys, I'm gonna I, I Dark Tower is the one thing that I didn't read. Like oh I, man! I, 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 I like for some reason, like I, I read, you know, I've read around all of that stuff, and never my brother read it and loved it. But because I've listened to you guys talk about it so much, and I've definitely avoided the episodes where you guys go into spoilers. Um, I can't wait because now that I'm done with this movie, I can't wait to start Dude, reading something. You're 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 actually pos- oh sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there, but you're oh. actually positioned. Uh, to be the perfect audience for the Dark Tower because you've read other King stuff. So knowing that the Dark Tower is kind of the linchpin to everything that he's ever written <laughs> and things from other books and, you know, weave in and out, you'll actually get the references because we get asked a lot, like, how do how do I read this as somebody who's only seen like Stephen King movies? How do I can I read the Dark Tower? It's like, yeah, absolutely. But, you know. Like, do I need to read The Stand? Do I need to read Salem's Lot? Do I need to read Insomnia? Do I need to read, you know, all these things that tie in? It's like, you don't need to, but like, if you do read it, then before going into the Dark Tower, then it's going, your experience will be elevated, right? Yeah. 
Um, cause you're, you're going to feel like you're in on the, the, the joke in a weird way. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, you're, you're in on like, Ooh, he, he's making that reference for, for me because I'm a constant reader, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to read it so, too, before the movie comes out, before they, before they make it, I yes. try to get out of the movie. So yeah, before Series. it's cool. And everybody yeah. Let's it. be clear on that. Mm. Uh, not going mm. down the, uh, movie route right. again with the right. dark tower. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess his plan is for like. TV and a couple of movies or something. I think that's what he was pitching in that deadline interview. Um, right. So well, I guess now too, technically, I mean, yeah, but, but you know, running times on TV, you know, TV show episodes don't matter anymore. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's a, you, you can, yeah. you know, t- you know, it's what I was watching. I was looking at like a Ted Lasso and it's like the first season was like, they're all half hour episodes and then subsequent seasons. Now they're all hour, or, you know, and, uh, or, or hour longer episodes. So I you know, yeah. think it, it anymore, it doesn't matter. You just make a you know yeah. make the episodes work, whatever. Running Especially if it's right. streaming. I mean, you look at the Stranger Things, and uh, even uh, with The Last of Us, like uh, episode three, the the Bill and Frank episodes, like an hour and a half, yeah, and then yeah. there's like it's, some fifty four minute episodes. You know, it's like yeah. you, they're you're not locked in the way you were with like network TV, where everything had to be yeah. figured out to the second for commercials and shit. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's uh, it's an exciting time. I, I'm I'm crossing my fingers that dude makes it so now i think is a good time to jump into dance macabre um can you one kind of tell us uh and tell our listeners who may have not read this book because this isn't actually one of the more well-read books it's like it's it's not one that we get asked about a lot you know as uh, uh you know people who run the stephen king podcast we are constantly asked about is there going to be a new episode on this or this or this and dance macabre hardly ever comes up mm-hmm. but it seems like the people who read it like read it at a very important point in their life and it means a lot to them if they know it, but if they don't, it's just as if it doesn't exist. So there might be a lot of people listening to this who have no idea what this book is. Would you be willing to kind of set the stage on what the book is and maybe uh, talk about like when you read it and what kind of impact it had on you? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're coming on a Stephen King podcast and you've listened to that Stephen King podcast a bunch, you realize that you guys have talked Talks a lot about a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, I hear that you guys don't ever want to talk about Firestarter ever again. I got, I got that. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got that sense. <laughs> I've got, like yeah. sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I was sort of like looking, I was thinking back on books that meant, uh, you know, that meant something to me that Stephen King, um, you know, wrote, but you guys hadn't really talked about. And, and, I, I was, a, you know, I, 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 I went to the library a lot as a kid to, to study movies because we, we didn't have a VCR cable for a while. Um, and so my, my way into watching movies or, you know, just finding out about movies was to read. And so I'd sit in the library all the time and, and, you know, just look at, look at books about, you know, filmmakers or movies, you know, certain movies or just, you know, kind of do deep dives. And, in 1981 or so, uh, you know, as I was getting into Stephen King and absorbing every you know book that he wrote, um, this book came along, uh, and it w- and it's about the depth and breadth of horror in literature and filmmaking and 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 comic books, and it's it's from Stephen King's point of view about what scared him as a kid and what inspired him to to write, and um, it had lists. Uh, in the back of the book, there was a list of, 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 of movies that he, you know, King thought were important and, you know, books and, and authors and filmmakers that he thought were important. And he broke down, uh, 
you know, horror characters. Um, and, and, and it talked about what they sort of stood for, what he thought that they stood for. And, and, and so this is a huge, it was a big eye opening thing, uh, for me because I was, you know, based at the time, I mean, I, I think that what's also interesting about looking at this book now is that at the time horror was, uh, you know, sort of a bald headed stepchild, uh, you know, people didn't really, you know, Siskel and Ebert, you know, were, you know, shitting on every single, you know, horror movie that, that came along <laughs> yep. week after yep. week. Um, and now you've got, you know, uh, you know, m- movies like Dawn of the Dead that were unrated and you can only see as a midnight movie or something like that are, you know, now on, you know, it's basically, you know, Walking Dead is, you know, is on, uh, you know, uh, there's a million versions of Walking Dead and multiple seasons of Walking Dead. And it's, you know, it's basically, you know, the, the you know, ex- extended versions of, you know, uh, the plot of George Romero's right. uh, Night, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Uh, movies yeah, like it's not even work. behind a, a premium cable paywall yeah. like that's just basic cable and yeah yeah pe- people Se- forget dawn of the dead was oh go ahead no no seven or eight o'clock at night you know it's like it's not even yeah. it's not even like you know at, at, at adult swim midnight you know stuff right. it's, it's you know it's it's like it's prime time that's like the video nasties era you know in the uk and yeah. and there was like the very uh satanic panic era in the 80s and where there was a lot of freakouts uh about horror and these kind of movies and trying to ban these kind of movies and uh, you know it's uh it's a radically different time but that was the time that king came into power which is really funny when you like kind of contrast that with what you were saying earlier where it's like it's true in the late seventies and early eighties, you could go into any household and there'd be a Stephen King book. It, it, the 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 woman living in that house could be a real life Margaret White, and she would have a copy of Cujo. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that for some reason, him as a populist voice in in horror fiction somehow transcended that kind of snobbiness that people had about horror. It, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, he was like the ambassador for for horror. He made it palatable. Yeah. You know, his characters. I just think his characters are so well-realized and kind of their, you know, their fears or their idiosyncrasies and things like that. And their their you know, their fucked up, you know, fantasy life and that sort of thing. I think that was, yeah. I think that was really, you know, uh, appealing on some level. I think, you know, he really, you know, he humanized a lot of this stuff and made it, you know, made it really relatable. And Dance Macabre was just like, it's a defense of, of horror. You know, you can, you can, you can tell that he's sort yeah. of like operating from that, from that point of view. You know, for me, as somebody who, need, you know, I, I, you know, didn't have a way to be exposed to these things, here was this mentor, you know, exposing, uh, you know, exposing me as a kid to, to all of this, to all of this stuff, you know, the EC comics. And, and, and he starts off, he's talking about Sputnik and, you know, sort of uh, the, the, these real life things that had, you know, that had frightened him as a kid in it when I was growing up, you know. This was in the middle of the, you know, the Cold War. And, you know, I was constantly afraid, you know, or I felt like we were all kind of constantly afraid of, you know, when is there going to be a, a nuclear war? Like, when is, when is that going to happen? And so I, 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 I remember, you know, the, for me, that was my, you know, that was my, I guess that for me, that was kind of my Sputnik because that was the, the thing that, uh, and, I, and I think being raised Catholic, <laughs> I think those, <laughs> I think those two things <laughs> were the things that scared the shit out of me as a kid, and probably made me, uh, you know, uh, embrace, uh, you know, horror uh, films and 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 
but even like just even stuff that I read, like, uh, um, you know, Marvel comics put out, uh, uh, tomb of Dracula as, as, right. a, as a comic book. And I just, I remember just like loving the, you know, the fact that Dracula is the hero, like he's the anti-hero of that thing. And you actually like wanted, you know, right, you know, book after book, you know, you wanted him to you know get away. Uh, mm-hmm. even though it followed, you know, the vampire hunters and, you know, uh, blade, the character blade came out of, came out of uh, tomb of Dracula. But, um, I just remember being, you know, just like a, uh, yeah, kind of almost like your these were wish fulfillment characters, these were anti-hero characters that I, you kind of wanted to succeed, you know, you wanted them to, no. to get away. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of gathering by what you're saying that you were more of a a monster kid than a slasher kid. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I loved uh, Halloween and I loved Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, I've got a Halloween three tattoo. I mean, I guess that's not exactly the a, a, a slasher one, but uh, uh, if you're gonna have a I, Halloween tattoo, that's the one I would get. Though I fucking love Season of the Witch. <laughs> that movie is such a shaggy dog. It's so it's so fun and and crazy. I just yeah, there's something just what have you really charm, what you got? You got around. the you got the three masks. Yeah, like, well, I've got the three. I've got the 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 three kids. The silhouette that shot from oh, this, this yeah. sort of like on the posters. Uh, the, the, the three kids trick or treating, kind of they're walking against the you know the sunset nice. and all that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, I have a theory yes. that I have done no research on that people either are like more monster people or slasher people when it comes to like general horror stuff. Yeah. I think people are more into the like the creature work and the designs of that and how that's brought to life, or they just want to see, you know, teenagers getting, you know, killed while mid screw or whatever. Right. You know, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I can back this up, but I bet if you were to ask, like, you know, I don't know, a hundred people, you know, it would be almost right up the middle. Yeah. That's yeah. your version of the Tarantino, like you're either a Beatles person Beatles or another or a, person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can like them both, but nobody likes them both equally. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. I guess I'd have to I, say I was more of a monster kid yeah. ultimately than a slasher kid. I love, I love slashers, but like if I had to choose, I would, I would, uh, I would definitely go monster, but it's probably why uh, Freddy Krueger is my favorite of the era. Cause he like that's that series like merges yeah. uh, monster kid energy and slasher energy. Right. So that's like a good hybrid of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also a lot about the mythology. Like that's, you know, I think, I think it like, you know, I think in the, in the Friday the 13th movies, the mythology is something kind of all over the place a little bit, you know, in the, in the movie, the, the right. characters themselves are not necessarily concerned about trying to figure out, uh, the mythology and and I, I also I think like Freddy's power set keeps changing, you know, yeah. <laughs> movie after <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> he's ex- totally, yeah. yeah. Whatever and, the movie yeah, exactly. requires, he can do that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. first Nightmare on Elm Street is fucking terrifying. Like it, it's, it's still like just the image of like Tina and the body bag, you know, yeah. like calling out to Nancy and like when she's being pulled down the hallway by an invisible force and shit. And you're just yeah. like leaving that blood trail behind her. It's like, there's, there's so much, even like weird things, like just there being a random sheep in the dream and, and it's uh, yeah. screaming. <laughs> and it's like, there's something about that, that like Wes Craven, just tapped it's that and serpent in the rainbow i think are the two that stand out to me as him like just tapping into something that feels like 
gross and like dirty and vile. And I don't know. There's something about that that that's never really been captured outside of that. He's made movies that maybe even surpass those two movies as examples, but just in terms of that, like kind of great, like early new line, you know, gritty feel, you know? Well, it's, it's like, he was such a, you know, it's like, if you watch, if you watch the screen movies, you know, he, it's not like they're visually stylish at all. They're kind of like, they're kind of shot sort of, you know, for most people, you're kind of flat in general. I mean, there's, yeah. there's definitely images and moments that's, that stand out, but, but, but it's not, but it's not about that. And it's funny to watch, like you said, Serpent the Rainbow and the first nightmare and how just like brilliantly visual, all this, just, the, just the body bag thing, you name checked and, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. like it's just so like, like just, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's got, it's got dream logic. I mean, obviously it's got dream. Both movies have dream logic all over the place, right. but, but in the way that like, you know, a Dario Argento movie would have dream logic. It has nothing to do with dreams, but, but, but those things sort of affect us, you know, exorcist right. has dreamy, dreamy images and dream logic images, even though it's a, you know, um, you know, possession movie still, there's, there's stuff that's just haunting, um, yeah. in, in, the, in its execution. And you don't see that in all of Wes Craven's movies, but he was just, for for those for for those two movies, he, yeah, he had a, just a beautiful um, beautiful images. I want to point this out uh, and just come clean about it on the show, but mm. I still have not read Dance Macabre. <laughs> and Chris, you were saying something a moment ago about it having lists of you know recommendations in the back of the pages, and I did not know that until you said it. I didn't know that was the case, um, and I was like, "What?" I'm I'm sitting here thinking, like, "What the fuck? Like, why?" Why didn't I read that? And um, I, I, I figured it out is that, you know, I was reading for the most part, I was getting King books after my mom was done reading them. Right. Mm. And we would go to the library sometimes and I would, you know, get some that way. Uh, and then eventually we'd be going to bookstores and stuff and I'd be able to, you know, pick out a book or something. But she always, always, always talked me out of Dance Macabre because she said, she's like, no, that's not like, it's, it's not made up. It's not like, you know, she was trying to say it's a nonfiction book. Right, right. You know, it's not. And um, I think she just beat that into my head so many times when I asked about it that for many years, I just never, I never got around to it. And then it was just like a thing that I kept not getting around to. You know, but in realizing now more fully what that book is and, you know, hearing that it's even got lists of recommendations in it, I'm yeah. like, fuck, I need to go pick this up. This is stupid it's, that I haven't read this by now. It's it's so, like if you want to know, like, I guess it's like you want to know, it's a snapshot of Stephen King at that time, but it's like, I, I really feel for me anyway, it was like, it was like just getting to know, it's, it's like going into his messy apartment or something like that. And just <laughs> right. like kind of sitting right. down with him. And he's like, Oh yeah. Did you ever read this Ramsey, Ramsey Campbell short story? This, uh, this, this thing is great. Oh, you know, I, when my, you know, my, when my father left me, I found this HP Lovecraft book up in the attic. And it's one of the last things that my, you know, that my dad, you know, left up here, but the cover, you know, art, you know, just affected me. And it made, it made me, you know, want to, you know, that, I think that started his journey as a writer. Things like that, like there's just there's 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 little details in there, and 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 again, just him kind of like just talking about like you know, you know what, what, just like he's real brutal at times, like about stuff that he likes and he doesn't like, or yeah. or like his like his sort of like defense of like bad, um, you know, certain bad, uh, you know, in bad in quotes movies that were you know out of the time. Like there's a bit on Rocky Horror Picture Show and 
you know, movies like Prophecy and stuff yeah. like that. Like, there's, yeah, there's, he beats up on Prophecy a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah but Prophecy probably deserves it. But um, uh, we're talking about the mutated bear. Yeah, not, not Prophecy, the Christmas not, not the angel right. movies. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, no, it's think of this as like a nerdier on writing. Like this is yeah. instead of him yeah. using this as the excuse to uh jump into some autobiographical uh, things, like he wrote this at a time uh is like you said it was published in 81, I think it was mass published in 83, that's when the paperback came out. Um, but the idea was like, oh, we'll just do a series of essays about the last 30 years of horror in literature, in yeah. cinema. Uh, but then right at the top, he goes, and I'm already going to fucking break those rules. Let's talk about, you know, Mary Shelley and, you know, Bram Stoker <laughs> and, and, and all this stuff. Um, so it's him not all that far removed from his English teacher days uh, and essay writing days mm-hmm. and essay reading days, like doing that. But he also seems... Unlike on writing, it feels like on writing he is not embarrassed to be Stephen King anymore when he wrote that. Like, that was him, like, oh, okay, right. I'm coming to my own. In this one, every time he has, like, an autobiographical tangent, like, the, I think there's even, like, a chapter titled, and you know, and now for a really dumb autobiographical moment or something, you know, there is something of that sort. It's like he's embarrassed to be like, you know, you don't care about me. You just care about maybe what I have to say about these these horror movies and things that in, influenced me growing up. It's really interesting to read it then because there is, like, a slight insecurity that goes through this entire book where he's secure in his knowledge of what he's talking about, but kind of insecure as you know, trying to come across as an expert in this field. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he also wrote it when he was 34. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm well past the age of 34 now. Yeah. Like if I sat down now to write my version of this book, I would probably be doing that shit too, because I, I feel like doesn't a certain party, you feel like when it comes to movies or specific genres that, you're just never really done learning because it's always being changed. And it's always yeah. like, you know, the, the sense of curiosity, I think, is what pulls you through versus um, trying to master it. Right. Or trying to, like, find any sense of completion. You'll never complete it all. But I can imagine being like at a younger age, you know, at like 34 years old, being like, OK, I got to I, I should probably take the piss out of myself a little bit on this because like. I'm just a guy. I'm, I wrote some good, scary stories and I'm like, you know, I'm like not even middle-aged yet. Like maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I I just can imagine Mm. feeling self-conscious about it. Right. Well, you see, well, I think, you know, the the point that you made where he's, he's so much closer to, to the English professor version of himself at that time than he is the, you know, he's only, he'd only, I mean, you know, how many books did he, I mean, I guess he was up to The Shining, maybe at that point. But yeah, I mean, I think Dead Zone maybe was the last okay. one he wrote. Th- this was published. This, it's an odd book because it was published during his Double Day years, which is mm. that run of like, uh, you know, the Dead Zone, The Stand, The Shining. Um, but it was published by a, a specialty publisher called Everest House. So it's it's really fascinating, you know, just from that angle where this is like him taking a break from writing his regular shit. You know, if Double Day was his nine to five and this is him going, yeah. okay, I got talked into doing this. And you can tell that like, his love of, of genre and his love of genre fiction uh, is coming through crystal clear. So this is weirdly feels like him on vacation also 
writing this and him like indulging in nostalgia and talking about going to see, you know, William Castle movies when, right. you know, yeah, he was eight years yeah. old. And yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. I wonder how much of it's taken from like his syllabus as, you know, I wonder if there is, because there is a feel, there's a little bit of like a perfor- pre- professorial feel yeah. to the way, you oh, know, sure. the, that he's, yeah, talking about this stuff. <clears throat> and I was reading this- a thing on Wikipedia about this. You know, I was reading, yeah. the, I read over the Wikipedia page. I managed to get that done before we recorded. <laughs> Your mom didn't episode. forbid you to. Yeah, uh, she said nothing again. about Wikipedia. Okay. So <laughs> sorry, mom. Um, but I was reading that part about, um, you know, from the introduction about him talking about uh, Bill Thompson his editor and mm-hmm. that he kind of mm-hmm. talked him into writing this book. And there's a, there's a thing here that I think I thought was kind of funny. Um, Thompson ultimately convinced King that if he wrote such a genre survey, he would no longer have to answer tedious, repetitive interview questions on the top. I'm thinking <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> like, like absolutely fucking not. I mean, if anything, it, it opens the door for more. I mean, it's because he's, you know, he's he's going on about it. You know, it's it's going to open the door for more questions. Yeah, well, that and also, like, you know, as we've already pointed out, this isn't one of his more well-read novels, yeah. or excuse me, well-read books. Um, like, I I I host a goddamn Stephen King podcast. I still haven't read it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that, but also, like, I don't think that I don't think it would stop questions, like. For instance, just in doing this show, we've talked a bazillion times about like what our favorite Stephen King adaptations are, what our least mm-hmm. favorite are. Not a week goes by where someone won't tweet at us and say, you know, I've, been, I've listened to all your episodes and I'm just wondering what your favorite Stephen King adaptations are. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how could, how could you possibly not know that if you've listened to... You know, the answer is they haven't listened to the entire show. But even even if you've only listened to like a quarter of it, I, I got to assume you would pick that up through through conversations. I think we know people, it's Firestarter, number one. Yes. <laughs> I and, think and that Children of the Corn. My point being <laughs> is that I think when people are fans of a thing, sometimes they just want to interact with the person and have yeah. like a conversation. And that's it's. um that's a really basic question to ask, but it's as far as icebreakers go, I mean, it's the obvious choice, right? Yeah, so yeah. I just think it's funny that his editor thought that that would stem <laughs> any bullshit on yeah. that front. Like it absolutely wouldn't. <laughs> the naive <laughs> assumptions that, yeah, this is going to stop people yeah. from asking this question. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. And then you not. just, while well, mid interview, just say, Hey, go read dance macabre and come back and we can move <laughs> on. Like, no dude, that's not yeah, how that's no. going to work. That's not how that works. No. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's uh, Wampler here with your mid-show ad read. Uh, You'll be very familiar with this week's sponsor, the good folks at Lumi Labs, who are championing a little thing called microdosing. That's right, we're talking about taking a THC gummy throughout the day that will keep you mellow, but not so impaired that you can't, you know, host a podcast or go grocery shopping or watch a movie or anything else that you might do during the day. I I assume... Some of our listeners have jobs and and what have you. I guess I shouldn't recommend taking them on the job unless you run a Stephen King podcast. Then you're totally clear. Yes, to, yes. to be on. If you the are weekend. yes. If you are the host of a Stephen King podcast, you, you know, go ahead. It doesn't matter. But for everyone else, these are for uh, bedtime. And speaking of which, these Lumi gummies have been a godsend for both Vespi and I because 
well, for on his side, he's he's got trouble sleeping. And mm-hmm. Lumi Labs gummies have been a huge help towards getting him to sleep at a fucking reasonable hour. And on my end, well, I just enjoy the pleasant sensation of being a little bit baked uh, at any given time during the day. So they're perfect for me, too. Mostly, though, Lumi Labs gummies are aimed at helping you to relax and they work. I promise you that. Uh, the the best part is Lumi's THC gummies are available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's draconian marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain. Uh, that's right, Texas. You can get them delivered straight to your door. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com code KINGCAST. Uh, order with confidence. What a bargain at that. But yes. I, you know what? I think it's time to get back to some dance macabre business. Let's do it. So I think that there's a, a section in here that I think would be kind of fun to run Scott through. Uh, and I pulled out my my hardback, my original copy that I have here of it. Um, and there's a moment about halfway through the book where he does a bit of a quiz, a horror movie quiz. Oh, yes. Um, I would like this. Uh, and and uh, it's just like, okay, what is this? And what's fucking crazy about this, that, and you'll see it, it's written by somebody who loves some really niche bullshit. And so there's going to be like the most obvious thing in the world, like where it's just like, uh, I'll go ahead and say one of them is just like, there's a lady that's tormented by birds. What could that be? You know, birds, right? But then there's also one where it's just like, oh, well, what is this? You know, you'll listen, go, that's not a fucking real movie. And it's like some random obscure fucking movie from 1952. Okay. So I'm going to run you through, through some of these. I'm terrible with, I'm terrible with (laughs) trivia. So we're about to watch me bottom the fuck out here. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to look like an idiot on this show and in real life for that matter. All right. So, uh, it is said, okay, name these films. Number one, once upon a time, the husband of the world's champion blind lady had to go away for a while. Uh, uh, pause. Uh, champion yes. blind lady. Yep. Is she the best at being blind? Uh, <laughs> that's what it, the the world's champion blind lady. So that sounds uh, like the, the right, best fair. in the world. Uh, had to go away for a while to slay a dragon or something of that sort, and a wicked man named Harry Rote, who came from Scarsdale, came by to see her while her husband was gone. Wait until dark. It is indeed. (laughs) Number two. Harry Rote was a dead giveaway. Yes. And that's what a lot of these are. And then you'll, we'll get to one where it's just like, that's not even a movie that exists. He made that up. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So like, this is another gimme. Once upon a time, three babysitters went out on Halloween night and only one of them was still alive. Come all saints day. Halloween. Yep. Once upon a time, a lady who stole some money spent a not so enchanted evening at an out of the way motel. Everything Psycho. seemed pretty much okay. Yep. Four. Once upon a time, some bad people tampered with the oxygen line in one operating room of a major hospital, and a lot of people went to sleep for a long, long time, just like Snow White. Only these people never woke up. He's got me on that one. Uh, if you, what are what are those people in if they're not waking up? Comas. Yep, that's right. The movie is Coma. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a sad girl who picked up men in bars because when the men came home with her, she didn't feel so sad. Except one night, she picked up a man who was wearing a mask. 
underneath the mask, he was the boogeyman. Fuck. I feel like that could be a few things. Hmm. This one stumped me too, and and I didn't. I had always heard this title. I never realized it was a horror movie. Chris, do you know it? But but this he goes into this, and it's looking for Mister Goodbar, the yes. Diane Keaton movie. Yeah, he, but he but it's it's funny because he goes into the in in the in the book he goes into like uh, looking for Mister Goodbar. I, not a, maybe maybe my memory, you know. It's, I, I'm going to say extensively, but I'm, that's probably you know uh, uh, my, my memory is probably wrong about that. But it, it yeah. felt like it anyway. Because he's because he's talking about like the breadth of ho- like what horror yes. you know as far as like horror okay, can gotcha. uh, can uh, uh, you know be across all of this spectrum of of things it can be as as you know it can be Halloween it can be looking for Mister Goodbar uh, yeah. it can be waiting for you know wait till dark all right this one Scott will definitely get once upon a time some brave explorers landed on another planet to see if someone needed help nobody hey, did but by, but by the time they got going again they discovered that they had picked up the boogeyman alien yeah, alien. Yes. Once upon a time, a sad How many lady of there named, are, are these? There are 20, but I'm only going to go through the first 10. All right. Okay. Once upon a time, a sad lady named Eleanor went on an adventure in an enchanted castle. In the enchanted castle, Lady Eleanor was not so sad because she found some new friends, except that the friends left and she stayed forever. No idea. That would be the haunting. Okay. Once- yeah. All right. Fair. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. Once upon a time, a young. Hold on. Let me. I'm actually going to try to find, find some of the like the random fucking ones that I'd like didn't even fucking know of. Um. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to be thrilling audio where when I don't get I them know. either. So you go, but the point is, you go from like like the once upon a time a lady uh, or once upon a time all the birds in the world go mad and attack people. Blah blah mm-hmm, blah. Mm-hmm. The birds, of course, and then you go to. Once upon a time, a bad man stole the little princess and buried her alive. At least he said he did. And I was just like, what the fuck is that? It's macabre. It's like a a William Castle movie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, he goes through this whole thing. I'll I'll, I'll list what the answers are here. Uh, There was one for Midnight Express, The Bad Seed, Night of the Hunter, Night Watch, Night of of the Living Dead, The Birds, Dementia 13, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, I Bury the Living, Macabre X, the man with X-ray eyes, the omen and deliverance. Those are the ones that he quizzed his readers on. Uh, it's an eclectic yeah, list. It, it, well, and it, it much like Chris said that that was all to like point out. Like I think in this point he's making the different. Uh, he's differentiating uh, terror and horror. I think is what he was saying, um, and that you can have terror in like kind of those straight movies. Like Deliverance isn't, you know, it's a thriller or whatever, but it's not deemed a horror movie but it has just as much root in horror as the cheesiest william castle movie does right so you're you know a lot of this is him putting on his his literary critic hat his film critic hat um and uh just kind of doing these deep dive essays into what makes horror horror mm-hmm. so it it is it's you know again it's like uh it, it may not be the most appealing on the surface for that but he just gauges he engages the audience in such a way that, you know, that it's very much like his outros, you know, where he's just Uncle Steve by the fire, you know, wanting to to share his love of genre with you. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I was very excited when when uh, Chris finally broached the subject because this has been one that I've been wanting to dig into for a long time. Well, have, the, we uh, ta- have we talked you out of reading it at this point? No, 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 no. I'm completely sold on this. And one of the things that I read 
online kind of plays into what you're talking about right now, this difference between terror and horror. Right. And my understanding is that he breaks it down between terror, horror, and revulsion. And that those are the three, like like, terror is like a simmering thing that's under your skin and it's like held at a pitch, right? Or horror is shock. Yeah. And revulsion is just gross out shit. I think that's a really smart way to kind of, to, to break it down. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it's, uh, it's accurate. And I mean, listen, there's a few times where I disagree with some of his opinions um, on some movies prophecy. and some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, the prophecy fucking masterpiece. No, um, <laughs> threw the book across no, the wall at that point. Funnily enough, like so Dance Macabre has was reissued in 2010 where he wrote a new intro mm-hmm. to it that kind of covered some some of the movies that have happened in the, the years since. Uh, but all that does is it really makes me want his dance macabre sequel. I want he, since this whole idea for this book was in 1980, when he started writing this, uh, he's like, I want to do everything from 1950 to 1980. Like, let's talk about that 30 year span. It's been 40 years since this book, 40 plus years since the book came out. I would love a dance macabre too, where he just does the same thing going into the movies of the eighties, nineties, aughts and teens. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the horror stuff, because in the intro for the 2010 one, like he goes, he waxes so poetic about Blair Witch. Um, he, Blair Witch is one, and he de- he describes watching the bootleg, which is fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. That he was in the hospital after his accident, and his and I think he said Joe brought him a bootleg of VHS of of uh, Blair Witch and played it in the in the <laughs> hospital room, and it like scared the fuck out of him. Uh, but he does that and Last House on the Left, the remake. Yeah, he, that's right. He's he spends like three or four pages just talking about how much better that was than Wes Craven's movie, which he kept saying was so fucking shitty and, and awful. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, I don't know, like that is engaging to me on a level that this can't, you know, cause for me, you know, I was a child of the eighties. So like, that's talking about my era, the eighties, nineties teens. That's when I was coming of age and experiencing all this stuff firsthand where there's always going to be a slight scholastic disconnect for me on the, atomic scare movies of the Mm fifties, you know, like that's just, I didn't experience it. I can only appreciate it from afar. You know what I mean? So I would love for him to do a sequel. Does he mention anything about, uh, the torture porn subgenre? A little bit. I'm curious. I'm curious what he makes of that. Yeah. He said, he says he really likes the first saw. I remember that. And he likes saw two, but then anything after that is just, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, and, and just there for the, the sake of the, the, uh, the shock, you know, that would be that would be covered in the repulsion section. Yeah. What uh, what what do you make of torture porn as a subgenre, Chris? Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, there's, I mean, I, I like, to, you know, I, I wouldn't consider the first saw torture porn, but I, but I, but I guess it is. I mean, I just that I thought yeah, I thought the first saw, I, th- I thought the first saw, you know, worked really great. I, it's you know, it's not one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I like have to go out and see whatever the next you know, one is, I mean, I guess I haven't seen enough of them to really, you know, like know which, which the, you know, what, which ones are the best ones or not. Right. I kind of felt with that, that it was, it was kind of fun at first because, you know, it's super, that kind of shit is super gnarly and, you know, it's, it's darker. It's a little more mean spirited. It kind of feels like, Oh, we're not, we're not fucking around over here. And, you know, I appreciated that about it at first, but once you know, I kind of reacted. I react to that stuff in the same way that I do like uh, slasher stuff where it's okay. Once you've seen the uh, 
like the really good versions of this that sort of spearhead the movement. Uh, All, then afterwards, it's just a tidal wave of bullshit that's like, right. you know, very repetitive <laughs> and just striving for the same thing with people that just don't have the vision to pull it off. And, you know, it would it would take a lot for me to, like, go to a theater and see uh, a movie in that subgenre now. I'm just right. very much over it. What do you think? Yeah. Do, would you consider The Strangers? Like, how would you how would you classify mm. that? Home invasion horror. Yeah. Okay. But so home invasion the, and torture porn aren't all that far removed. They're like really close cousins. So, uh, but they they do kind of pedal in the same like creeping dread. Like maybe this shit could happen. You know, the of like a hostel. Like I don't think mm-hmm. hostels quite. I think the strangers a much better movie than than hostel. Um, but you know, they both give me that same kind of icky feeling. You know, um, I, I think to your point though, like one of the things that I. I really appreciated about those early days of the quote unquote torture porn movies with the, the saws and, and hostels and whatnot is you have to remember at this point, like we had been coming off of five or six years of nothing but people trying to make scream ripoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Everything was trying to be scream and, and failing, uh, mostly failing. Uh, and, and they were taking, <laughs> making horror kind of a joke making the the horror kind of a joke. And then we went from that into an era of PG 13 horror that didn't have much teeth. You'd get the occasional, the ring or something, but for the most part, most horror in that era was just kind of tensionless, bloodless, you know, it didn't have the teeth that that I mentioned. And Mm -hmm. then here comes torture porn to go, Hey, remember this is what, you know, these are the kind of movies that, that are going to make PTA uh, committees fucking lose their shit and try to get shit banned. Right. It's like, remember horror right. can, can be this too. And they're incredible so, audience participation movies. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's, that's the true. thing is, is you yeah. get, you know, I mean, when I saw, saw, when I saw the strangers, I mean, it's just like those movies had the audience in the palm of their hand and yeah. were, you mm-hmm. know, and when those, when the moments, you know, when the set pieces went, it went off, they fucking worked, you know, they they just like, you know, the audience was like right there with the filmmakers. And that's, what's the, you know, what's the last horror film, like new horror movie you saw in theaters or at home, whatever the case may be, uh, that really scared the shit out of you. Hmm. Hereditary. I thought hereditary was scary. Hereditary is pretty scary. Yeah. Hereditary is the, the last movie that like I, when I watched it, I was just like, this is like deeply affecting on a level that I haven't seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, a lot of substance it takes, to that. It, it takes a lot to actually scare me. Like we've talked a little bit on the show about horror calluses and how right. we've kind of built that up. And and so for me, it's just, it's rarely something I see that scares me. It's more something I see that I go, wow, that's fucking, that works on a level. It recently uh, talked to me, which I saw at, at uh, fantastic. Fest. Oh, talk to me. It's so, good. you know, had, had that, that feeling, but you know, it, in talk to me feels a little bit in the neighborhood of, um, it follows where it follows before yeah. that was kind of like, like, okay, that's tapping into something that really is unnerving and even unnerves me with all my horror calluses. Uh, I don't think it quite nails the landing, but like the whole setup, that whole world, you know, that kind of the, the doom and the inevitability of it all, uh-huh. you know, it fucking just really got to me uh, in, in a way. And uh, talk to me has a lot of that feeling. It's, it's, it's a little bit of the same feeling that uh, J horror at its best had, where it's just like, there totally. is no, 
there is no um it, they're the terminators right of of horror movies like there is no bargaining with it there is no finding the the magic secret to undo it it's just right. like once you're marked you're fucked that's it that's done mm-hmm. once it's in your you know it, it maybe it taps into like being hunted you know that whole like if you're in a in a forest and a bear wants to eat you it's going to eat you like there's nothing you can do about right, it I got you. you know so yeah chris so did you see me, you you mentioned hereditary did you see bo is afraid yet no, I haven't seen that yet. No, it just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping that now that I'm done with all of this this stuff, I can actually go to the theater and watch this. I, I'm caught up in any of the latest movies in the theater, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Eric, yeah, did you I mean, see it? No, no, I was, I was at, I think I was at Overlook whenever there was like the early screening here. Yeah. Uh, with it, and I just haven't been to the, the movies since. Um, uh yeah, I'm. I've had a, a lot of friends whose opinions I trust see it, and they fucking hated it, and they love everything Ari Aster's done. So oh, I'm, really? I'm really it curious seems, though that that just makes me more curious to yeah, see, see it. Yeah. Me too. And it 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 does seem to be one of those movies that's just super polarizing. It's like you know, there it's one extreme reaction or the other. There's no in between. And right. those are the movies I tend to gravitate towards. You know, it's, it feels interactive. Now you, you go in, you experience it yourself and then you're like, okay, now I know I fall on this side of the line. I like that when a movie does that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to argue about it on Twitter all day with people, <laughs> but, 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 but I, 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 I like the experience. Like, yeah. Like, well, I like going to movies where people are going to, they're talking about it the minute they get out of the theater. Totally. Like, they can't, they, they, yeah. you know, they, I, I remember seeing sunshine um, and, and just walking out of the theater and the whole, the entire audience was just standing in front of the theater talking about the movie. Like yeah, right. that, that just, I just love, you know, that's, so I, I love when filmmakers do that. Even if the movie isn't, isn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't nail it and isn't as you know as good as his or her last stuff. I just, I just love when, when, you know, filmmakers go for it. Well, you know, the thing about movies like that, they're rarely boring. Yeah. You know, there's usually some some degree of vision has been brought to bear on whatever story they're telling. And they're, you know, I'll take a wild swing for the fences any day of the week over like some bullshit. I've seen a hundred different times in a hundred different ways. And like, it's Mm. just, eh, it was fine. Yeah. You know, that's the worst reaction you can have to a movie. I love that. And, you know, I, I still haven't seen Babylon yet, but Babylon seems to be in the same oh, thing where it's like the shit. wildest <laughs> fucking thing. And, I, and I'm actually really excited to watch it. Uh, and But for the same reasons of, like, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for 1941. Uh, it it might be a bit of a train wreck, but God damn it, if that isn't Spielberg just going for it. Right, right. right. Using all the powers. Yeah, I'll take, I'll watch that 20 times before I'd watch Crystal Skull again, which is him, you know, just trying to... <laughs> Uh, do make the movie that he thinks the fans want, you know, versus making the movie that he wants to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, for, I forgot that he spoofed Jaws in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he, spoofed, yeah, he does. With the same uh, with uh, Christy uh, Backlinny, who played yeah. the, the swimmer at the beginning of, of Jaws. Yeah, it's the same same girl. But it's like doing shot the same for thing. shot. Oh god, yeah. And and what's fucking wild about that is that is done only what five years yeah. after yeah. after yeah. he made it. So that would be like I don't know what was five years ago. Would have been twenty eighteen. Yeah, it would be like four years because I think four years. Yeah, but what, what a what great way to set the movie tone of, of the thing, you know, yeah. to let you know right off that because that's right at the top of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. the very first thing. Yeah, yeah. So like that's a a perfect way to let you know, like, oh no, this is going to be some playful shit. You know, yeah, it's pretty. It's also smart got one of John 
John Williams's best scores. I love the, his score for Nineteen Forty One. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, I I like the ones that totally really swing for the fences, which means you know I might even if I deem it as already farty, you know, up his own asshole bullshit, you know, like a lot of my friends do. That's why I'm looking forward to Bo is Afraid because I think Ari Aster is a fascinating guy and he's un. Uh, leashed on this one he's got no <laughs> nobody uh, dictating what kind of movie he can make and by god he's gonna make whatever this is you know yeah right on the last thing uh the, the last thing i saw that really scared the shit out of me was infinity pool mm. um and i was like oh the brandon cronenberg yeah yeah that is that is a fucked up like it's it's it really captures the feeling of a nightmare in a way that is very, very, very difficult to do on screen, I think. Um, only a few filmmakers are even capable of doing it. I don't know if that's what he was aiming for, but he hit that nail on the head. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I'm not watching this again for a very long time. Like, this really rattled me on some fundamental level. And then uh, the very next day, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, I'm going to watch that shit again. <laughs> well, I still got the rental and now I've seen it like four or five times or something. Oh, wow. Um, it's, uh, yeah, he's, he, what Brandon Cronenberg, like I liked, uh, what was it? Antiviral. Is that the name of yeah. it? Antiviral. I liked that. I liked, uh, possessor Thought that one was better. Um, and it, but even with like antiviral, it was clear like, Oh, this guy's, this guy's maybe two or three movies out from, doing something really special. And I think infinity pool is him like rising to that level that puts him like, I mean, there's only one David Cronenberg, but he is playing in the same ballpark with that movie. I think in terms of, you know, getting under your skin, nightmarish Mm. imagery and, you know, and doing it in his own way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Let me know after you've watched it. I'll be curious to hear your reaction. No one, yeah. no one reacts to that one like, eh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but is there anything else we want to talk about in uh, relation to Dance Macabre? Mm. I mean, uh, I'm just excited to hear what happens after you read it. To, to hear what you, to hear what yeah, you yeah I will hit you up after I do. I, we, uh, I just got my copy of Holly yesterday, which um, comes out. Uh, later this year, it's King's King's new novel, and that's kind of the first on my to do list when I have reading time. But uh, Dance cool. Macabre is a, a quick second for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, also, reading it because it's what kind of like a textbook. It has a lot of footnotes. Like he'll make mention of of something, and there'll be like the little little tiny one or whatever next to it, right? And then you go down to the bottom of the page, and there's like the here's supplemental information about this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really there was one where, where the one of the one of the footnotes is like half the page, if I remember yeah. right. There was one there was one footnote where you you're reading it you're reading half the page and then the other half of the page is the is the footnote. <laughs> it's uh, the precursor yeah, it's... to House of Leaves. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. If you it's, haven't it's read a... House of Leaves, that won't make any sense. But if you have, that was fucking solid gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, House of Leaves is built specifically around those footnotes. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm curious too. I, I think that we've covered a lot. Of, I mean, listen, we could go in like chapter by chapter if we wanted to, but that would take a long time, and let's not do that. Um, 
but yeah, I think we've kind of covered the the whole of this. You know, if, if it's time to to uh, start getting uh, Chris's self promoing done, I, I'm ready to wrap things up. You guys ready to wrap things up? Yeah. Sure. What do you? Uh, what do you? I mean, you just finished one thing, so I hate to be like, "What's next? What's what's going on? Don't take any time off. Like, get it. Where's your <laughs> project? Like, but what? Do you have something that- lined up? Uh, right now I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go watch infinity pool. That's, that's the, let me ask you about that though. Like if you don't have something lined up immediately, do you worry about it? Or are you like, fucking thank God I can just have like some months off and figure that out in time. Like where does your, no, I mean, I, on that? yeah, I went, I went back to back to back on a bunch of things. And so, you know, uh, because before I did tomorrow war, I was helping develop dungeons and dragons. And then I movie, you know, went to Tomorrow War, and then I went and did Renfield Ralph Tomorrow War. So I've been kind of going. So I'm Good. looking forward to actually like reading scripts and, re- and reading fr- free reading. You know, catching up on movies that I haven't seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, going to see my mom. I haven't seen my mom in a while. Gonna go <laughs> go see her. Um, that that sort of thing. So you know, like I, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm just reading a lot of scripts, it, man. I'm just reading a lot of scripts and that's, that's, that's the main thing right now. So um, right on, but yeah, I, I really you know, want to do a Stephen King adaptation at some point. I just have to, I, do you I, know I, what I, title you would go for? No, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I, I mean, there's, I, there's a couple of things that I, uh, that I'm interested in, but, uh, we'll have to see, uh, what happens. You don't want to say them out loud. <laughs> I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I should, uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to jinx anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would love to, I'd love to do a Stephen King if possible. I love, and actually there's a Peter Straub book that I was looking at too. So. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Ghost story's already been done, my man. You can't do yes, that one. Yeah. Yeah. You can we, do whatever ghost, you want. Ghost story has <laughs> already been perfected. Um, <laughs> I think that wraps us up, but it does. Uh, I think we're thank done. you so much for being here, Chris. I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, thank you, I'm glad you're going to get a, a period of downtime after, uh, you know, a very busy couple of years. And uh, thank you for uh, finally pushing me over to edge to order a copy of dance. Macabre. <laughs> so, well, guys, yeah, th- Scott, th- thank you for making this podcast because I, I got to tell you, I listen to it all the time, except for when there's spoilers about, about the gunslinger and dark tower. <laughs> um, uh, but I really love listening to what you, cause not only do you guys obviously love Stephen King, you love, and all the, all the people that you bring on really love his work and the mm-hmm. work of all the people that have done it. But you also bring so much of your own personal stories, mm-hmm. um, into the, in, into these, uh, podcast episodes that you guys do. And they're really, I find myself, you know, there's just times where I'm really moved by, um, you know, how you guys, you guys are so open, um, and real. Uh, I think it's really wonderful that the, the, there's, you know, it's, it's like I get to know you guys in, in a way when I'm listening to this thing and I'm, and I'm sure everyone else out there uh, feels the same way. And so on top of getting, you know, to, to listen about Stephen King and the movies and bring you know, people who have really interesting points of view on, on, you know, Christine and, you know, allegories and things like that that I think, <laughs> yeah. that I think are, are wonderful and fascinating. But like I said, you also get to know um, you guys. And I think it's really cool that you guys are, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to kind of be a, to, to listen to that. Because like I said, it's it, it, at times uh, it's, 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 for me, it's gotten really emotional uh, and I really, I really love it. So, well, I appreciate you saying that it, it, it does. And it does get like that sometimes around here. It's, it can veer wildly just depending <laughs> on where the conversation goes. You never know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I think we probably would both agree that there's no sense trying to curb that 
you know, like it's, no. if anything, it's, you know, it, it's certainly a feature, you know, we're intended yeah. to be one. So thank yeah. you for recognizing that. Thank you guys. You know, take your little break, but then make another movie and come back so we can talk again. <laughs> I'd love to. That'd be great. Thank you so All much. All right, man. Many thanks to Chris McKay for finally bringing Dance Macabre into the main feed or mm-hmm. any feed. This isn't one we've even touched on in the, uh, in the on the Patreon. It's yeah, yeah. But I'm glad Virgin we did territory with Dance Macabre. I know, Macabre. and really glad this one came together because, you know, we knew Chris wanted to come in. I think we talk about this on the episode a little bit, but we knew he wanted to come in, but then he was busy with Renfield's press tour, and then he got sick, and it was just like. Ugh. But uh, we got him here eventually and we got Dance Macabre knocked out. So uh, very, very happy that he was able to come in. Uh, love this episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, very appreciative of him. Um, it's always great to talk about something you don't talk about all the time. Uh, yes. And <laughs> this is a great segue into the title we're talking about next week, which is a title we talk about a lot. But it also happens to be one of my favorite Stephen King uh, movie adaptations. And I will talk about this movie all day and twice on Sunday. That's right. It is Stand trucks. By Me. No, uh, no trucks. Uh, I thought you were going to say Shawshank Redemption because we make a point in this episode to be like, we're never talking about Shawshank yeah. Redemption again. Um, that would <laughs> oh, be God a really funny, funny follow up. We did kind of miss uh, miss a golden opportunity there. But uh, no, we're going to talk about Stand By Me. And it's uh, one of my all time favorite movies, Stephen King or Association or not. Um, wonderful movie, and we have a couple of people joining us next week. Um, you want me to take this? I th- yes, uh, I'm not okay. sure what to expect, and you from 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 this group, and Scott might be able to dance around why. Yeah, um, our, we have two guests, two gentlemen who are um, noted, I would say, pranksters of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they have been sued for their pranksterism in a court of law. Um, They have a documentary coming out soon about their various exploits, which if you attended a certain film festival last year, you might've seen Um, very, very funny guys. Um, And the, the documentary that they've caught coming out, not only like covers their trials and tribulations as professional uh, shenanigan makers, but also their friendship. And when they they uh, offered up in their short list of King titles that they like to discuss, Stand By Me was on there. And I think there's a there's a through line there between, you know, the uh, the the friendship that these two guys have and the 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 friendship and just the the theme of friendship that's explored in Stand By Me. Also, they're funny as shit. So uh, get hyped for that episode. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, we're talking about in hypotheticals right now because uh, we record this uh, tomorrow, a.k.a. the day that you're listening to this, the day that this episode comes out. The Devil's Day. So we have no idea what, what to expect. Maybe maybe there'll be some Andy Kaufman shenanigans going on. I don't know, but it's Probably going... not, but let's just hope for uh, we get the recording done. So we're not <laughs> yes. giving yet another outro where uh, someone's schedule moves and yeah, you know, shifts we don't by deliver a day on and that. totally screws it over. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah exactly. Yes. Um, but yeah, it will uh, yeah, get excited for that one, folks. And we'll uh, tell you more about the movie they made uh, on the show next week. Yes. And uh, in terms of the Patreon, uh, this Friday on the Patreon, we are bringing in a gentleman by the name of Christopher Weber. Uh, Chris is essentially the guy that you go to that knows 
everything about collectible Stephen King books. So we decided we wanted to take a deep dive into collecting King. Talk, we talk about the rare signed first editions. We talk about limited editions put out by obscure niche publishers. We talk about the original artwork that goes into books, where those are now. And uh, and then he decides about halfway through to drop this crazy uh, theory that he has about uh, Stephen King maybe having written a Dark Tower story that he's packing away for later. So uh, and then when you when you when yeah. we ask him more about that or when he goes into more detail about it, he's just like, oh, no, I heard this from Stephen King directly. And you're just like, wait, so maybe there's yeah, some breaking news in there. video footage of this. I don't know. I don't know about you. We just recorded that while we're, you know, we. Went from that recording to this this one that you're hearing right now. And uh, my jaw hit the fucking floor. I was like, <laughs> what did he just say? Um, so if you're a Dark Tower fan uh, and you're a, 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 a patron of the KingCast Patreon, um, get excited for that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good episode and it's got some surprises in it. Yes, and it's uh, we go into some pretty detail nerdy shit about collecting and what special editions are coming up, what special editions are out, just how crazy the market's been going lately for it and the value of all this stuff. Uh, It's fun to window shop that stuff. And I hope it's going to be fun for you guys to listen to us kind of talk through some of the, the crazier King special edition uh, books that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we figured it was a very good niche, deep dive Stephen King nerdiness for your uh, listening to pleasure. And in order to do that, make sure you head on over to our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the kingcast sign up for our six dollar or higher tier and you will get that and a uh, new bonus episode every friday and you know what access to all of our episodes we've ever done for the patreon mm-hmm. uh, and that's so many it's so many you guys we, we we're, it's probably we're talking a million at, at the least. i would guess yeah, I mean, I haven't counted it, and I don't suggest that you count it, but just take our word for it. It's at least a million episodes for you to Maybe listen to. Maybe a million five. I don't know. Maybe a million infinity. Someone you never knows. Know. Someone knows, and someone's going to pop up on Twitter and say, no, it's more like 150, and we're going to say, shut up. It's a million <laughs> yeah. five. Yeah, yeah, shut up right now. Shut up so with head that. on over there and uh, check that shit out. Patreon.com backslash the KingCast. You're going to love it. Do it. All right. Well, I guess we'll see y'all in the main feed next week for Stand By Me. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>